You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hockey fans, if you'd like a copy of my new book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to flankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy for $25 plus shipping, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Tales with TR. We're at episode 133A. I'm your host, Terry Ryan. And thanks again to my buddy, Jason Frenchie McDonald, for last week. That was, um, they're always fun interviews, you know, and most of the people that I asked to come on here, I've got some sort of history with, but, uh. Yeah, the last couple being Luco and uh, J-Mac. I hadn't uh, spoken to the boys in a while. And, and J-Mac, I would, uh, we hung out quite a bit back in the day, and uh, I visited him in the summers. I had a few questions from people, and they said, how do you know J-Mac so well? I, I called him my teammate there for a second, but he wasn't. In the last episode, I mean, um, you know, but he was good friends with a lot of my good friends from PEI. If anybody's ever been to Charlottetown, um or a lot of people say I've been in Newfoundland, but not PEI. They're, they're similar places, similar people. PEI is smaller, but on a relative level. You know, I, I knew Jason or uh, David Ling, Brody Coffin, and David Mitchell, Billy McGuigan, right? And then a bunch of my friends who are, who are all hockey players around J-Max age. And then a bunch of my friends went there to play UPEI from Gordy Walsh to Ryan Power. 
Marcus Power, and go down the list without naming every single person. So there's always a reason for me to get to PEI. Other than the pandemic, I would probably at least be there once a year. And I'd time it with uh, whether it's university playoffs, watch a hockey game. I spoke at the Summerside Capitals banquet a couple of years ago. Summertime, usually go there for a golf tournament of sorts. Uh, it's, from, from my angle, it's usually the Boys and Girls Club uh, fundraiser. And we've just always, over the years, Brad Richards used to have a golf tournament, which was loosely affiliated with that one. And uh, a bunch of pro guys would go. And it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So I go way back with Mac. And uh, another person asked me um, about us fighting. And I don't know if we explained it, because I, I think Mac, so Mac was in Fredericton, 96, 97 before I got there and I believe he was on an AHL deal although he impressed he had I think it was 25 goals you know in 62 or 63 games almost 200 penalty minutes if not more so when he said I bumped him out I mean I didn't actually bump him out like off the fourth line he was the last guy he had to sign a guy he ended up with Calgary and then with the Canadian national team as I talked about so a, he probably wanted to prove a point back in Fredericton. And, you know, B, he's a right winger and I'm a left winger. We were lined up against each other. It was early in the season. We're both kind of the same weight class. And we fight similar styles. So, yeah, I, I guess it just happened, man. I, and I didn't know him as well then, although I did. David Ling was playing on my team that year. It's one of his best buddies. David was on my line. I don't really remember, but no one lingered. He probably set that up. But, uh, that, yeah, he was so, like, we would have loved to have him on the team. If Mac stayed on the team when I got there, he would have been one of the best players. But that year, in 97-98, Montreal decided to affiliate, of course, with Fredericton. That's why I was there. But so did L.A. for some reason. Uh, we had 10 players from Montreal system and 10 from L.A.'s system. Now, most minor league teams affiliate with one team only. So it was different, and there was less spots, right? So we had J.F. Houle. That was, uh, that was um, Rajon Houle's son. Rajon was the GM of the Montreal Canadiens, or affiliate team. Right, We're playing in Fredericton. It was the Fredericton Canadiens. Most of us were signed with Montreal. J-Mac wasn't. And the next year, when we affiliated with L.A., we took guys in. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Josh Green, Chris Schmidt, um, Jan, Nemera, Jan Nemechek, Eric Belanger. He was a great player. Uh, he ended up playing years and years. Kings, I remember him in Minnesota having some good years. But they were, they were L.A. guys. Uh, and we had, I mean, so... So a lot of Montreal's prospects, we sent J.F. who was a great player, hard worker, good third, fourth liner. Scott King was Dave King played or, or was the assistant coach of the Canadians. We sent his son. They sent his son. I never would have down to New Orleans. Thomas Vocoon, that first year, he was in New Orleans. Right. Montreal just couldn't. I, I don't know why they did it looking back, but they did. They decided to go along with L.A. and share Fredericton as a farm team. Now, why L.A. would want their prospects in Fredericton. I couldn't get any further. I, I don't know. And not only that, they had some great players. I've had Donald McLean on here, Daddy Mac. And 
he had played like five games. I believe he scored maybe five goals in like 11 games at the beginning of the year with LA. Look it up. That year, 97, 98, and he gets sent down. Now, I played ahead of Daddy because I was a Montreal prospect. And as much as I talk about Michelle Therrien, how I didn't get along with him all the time. I mean, at least I was a Montreal prospect and he was in the Montreal system. The Montreal Canadiens hired him. And his methods might have been barbaric in my mind, outlandish and almost insulting. But I did get rookie of the year under him. Like he put me out on the ice, right? Like I got 21 goals that year, 34 fights. I think I had 39 points, 34. Tw- 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 I remember I had 21 goals, 256 penalty minutes. And I missed at least a dozen games. So it wasn't an ice time thing. And I realized, you know, I was playing ahead of guys like, well, Belanger for most of the year, I mean, he was in NHL and ended up becoming a star. Uh, Donald McLean, I, I kid you not, I say it with an open mind, he got a bit of the shaft that year. Look at his stats. He didn't play well. A couple years later, when I was playing on the St. John's Leaps and they brought him in, he went to work. Daddy Mac took off and became the Daddy Mac we know and love. Ended up leading our team in scoring, only playing half the year in, in St. John's the next year, I believe, getting 50 or close to it. And a couple years after that, getting 58 goals and leading minor all of hockey in goals. So there's just a lot to unpack why J-Mac didn't play. I mean, why one person asked, why did Jason get cut? I mean, he didn't get cut. There's contracts to be signed. There was just no room for anybody. You could have said Andrew Burnett, I remember that year, was with the Minnesota, ended up playing with Minnesota and Washington, I think. But he... I remember him being in the league. Like, we didn't have room for anybody. So he wouldn't even, like, you got to remember, the AHL is a lot about development, right? Like, not every team's going out and trying to win. They, they are essentially trying to win because they're trying to get the best prospects. But in my experience, you know, the players, the, 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 the brass and the players aren't up in Montreal or what, whatever team, in my case, it was Montreal going, you're like, oh, how are Fredericton doing? Hopefully they win the Calder Cup. I've, I've honestly never heard those words, but I've heard... Hey, how's Jonathan DeLille doing? How's Aaron Asham doing? Pretty good? Hopefully they can come up, think they can play, think they can play pro, think they can play, play NHL. But I, you know, rarely do you take this big pride and joy in the minor league team winning a round or two in the playoffs. I mean, it's nice. It means that your prospects are learning and gaining experience and they came through. But it's not usually the goal. Any team that doesn't have their head up its ass would probably think development first. And uh, I mean it. Of, of all the players to come through, I'm glad J-Mac got to the NHL somehow. But it's almost a bit of a shame he didn't play longer. And you look at the numbers. He was fighting all the tough guys. more than I mean, half the years he played, he led the team in fights. And... You know, 20-odd goals year after year in the A is not easy. It's not easy to do. I know because I did it. And certain things I'll be humble about, but that was hard. I remember going, like, at the end, I got my 20th. I ended up with 21. Uh, not going in against Giguere for my 20th with two games left. Uh, Jean-Sebastian Giguere in, 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 in St. John playing for the Flames. He was playing for the Flames, Calgary's farm team. And... uh I remember coming in after the game, taking my jersey off, talking to Jerry Fleming, my teammate, just welts all over. And there wasn't much room to be, you know, 
skating as much back then. And the AHL, there was no flights like there is now. Most teams were on the eastern seaboard, meaning it was just a tougher league, man. And you had to put on your hard hat and bring your lunch pail and go out there. And I I had decent hands, obviously. I mean, look where I got drafted. I scored a lot, but it wasn't like that. I bet you 15 of the 21 were like in front of the net, just like go there and have some kind of intuition. But it wasn't like dangling around guys. I, I remember in the A, totally changing my game like that. Like, you know what I mean? In, in, in junior, often even on the power play, go back, wheel, whoever's, me or Lankow, usually whoever's back first, wheel with the puck, right? Go down and you're probably going to gain the zone and then dish it and go from there. It wasn't like that in the A, not for me. I remember just pass when somebody's open. It was much more black and white to me. Uh, there was room for creativity, but guys are faster, guys are stronger, man, and it takes a while to get used to that. And trying to do it all yourself or, or close to, yeah, to me, it's harder and harder. So I would get the line, learn, learn, we're dump, d- dumping it in. I remember learning how to dump in the puck in, uh, in things that I didn't expect to, to, to learn. Dumping it in, dumping it into me was just, you know, having a good hockey IQ. But I often do knock Michelle Terrian. I do. And I, I talk and because because he deserves to be fucking knocked. I thought he was ignorant and everything. I didn't like his methods. But like I said, I succeeded under him. And he did say every moment wasn't horrible. I remember him pointing a few things out. And he said, Terry, you're probably going to be one of those guys. You're going to be on a line. Find yourself in the lineup in a position where you got to dump it in a lot. You know, you're not going to be dangling. And as much as a dick he was, he wasn't trying to be insulting. What he was saying is that, you know, down here, you're on the first, second line. Sometimes the third, you're on the power play. If you're in Montreal, you're probably going to be a third liner fourth to start so you know you had to learn where to dump it and who you're playing with and I, it, you know i remember and i'd even played with aaron asherman jr but we never really talked about that but when we got to pro uh so that would be my second year in fredericton's aaron came in and scott king at this point made it it was myself scott king and aaron asham we were the second line for most of the year and uh, we did all right remember we had a, we all had 40 odd or 50 odd points each and uh I remember a big part of the game was dumping it in. Ash like cross-corner dumps um, as opposed to rimming it around the boards. Uh, and But sometimes you got to rim it. So, there, you know, you can soft dump. You can pass. You know, you can use the dump pass, which is probably easier now with no red line. But, uh, yeah, I just remember learning that. You might, people, honestly, I've told that story, and they're like, oh, come on. And I'm like, no, there, there's a right and a wrong way to dump in the puck. Sometimes just you don't want to give it to the other team. It's not always a good play, right? You can turn it over at the blue line. You can also turn it over dumping it in. It's just a few feet different, right? If you make a stupid dump, now it's different if you're trying to change and you're resetting or whatever, then you kind of do. It, it, it's almost a subconscious turning over the puck just here. You guys take it and start from scratch. We're going to make a change. Um, the other thing Tarion taught me, and I talked about this on Got Your Back Pod to get cast today, Got Your Back uh, podcast, by the way. I do that with Jason Strudwick and Ryan Rashog. I don't talk about it enough, but we did. Uh, we They're on almost every day. I do a couple a week usually. We did a great one today. But anyway, we talked about communication. And, oh, just one sec. 
Ah, oh, sorry about that. It was my mom. Wondering. Yeah, I mean, mom calls. I told her, I said, I'm going to record. Don't call unless it's emergency. So she was just wondering if the roads were bad on my drive home from the gym, if I wanted a sandwich, and if Penny Lane wanted a bagel. I said, now, mom, that's not an emergency, right? I'll call you. When I'm done the podcast, she said, well, it is. Penny Lane might be really hungry, and I wanted to make sure that you didn't go off the road or something. Now, this is insane, uh, close to anyway, and I uh, love my mom, but can't shake her. Uh, she will call 10 times a day. I live just up the road now. I live about a 30-second drive, maybe a three-minute walk, and... Uh, God love my parents, right? Y'all know senior. There's more good than bad, but I often get the drop in, right? I get the drop in. I got it today. I was doing Got Your Back, and she just dropped in. And it's like, knock, you know, like I got a small place here. I love it. Great backyard and all that. And But there's nowhere to hide, and there could be a lot of things going on. You know, I'm like, Mom, I wouldn't be just walking in, especially when Penny Lane is at school. Again, am I... <laughs> I don't even mean it's just that, yeah, there's certain things that a single guy with a lot on the go could be doing. And I don't necessarily mean sex, drugs, and rock and roll or anything or, or, or all of the above or any of the above. I just mean I'm a little old for mom to just walk in. She treats my house like my room when I was 12. And, uh, God love Gail Ryan more more than anything. She's an angel to have dealt with me and seen her all this time. So I, I, I'm not really complaining. It's more of a funny observation. And I know the phone is going to ring within 20 minutes and she'll say, would you like some leftover lasagna or whatever it might be? And before I say yes, the door is going to open and she's going to walk in with it. Anyway, um, what was I talking about? Communication. Now, remember Tarion saying that. He's like, communication is a tool like a wrist shot. Or a slap shot. You know, you get better at it and it really can help your game. And I remember thinking, I, I didn't really, I, I mean, you know to communicate. You're in hockey schools growing up and people are communicating, you know. You take it as like yelling for the puck and stuff. But I remember like coming back in the zone in junior and Sheldon Surrey more than anything, Zenith Komeniski, they were the two that really were the most vocal out there, sometimes to a fault especially Sheldon. And I remember coming in and like sometimes Sheldon, like fuck off kind of thing. But you always, you know, we'd rib each other or whatever. And then you get to a point that you'd understand. And as we were talking about today with Struts, Bouchard and Connor McDavid were back checking the other night against Minnesota. They had a miscommunication. Minnesota scored. Now, if I'm coming down, I got a two on two and it's Evan Bouchard, one of the best D in the world, plays in the NHL, regular NHL defenseman got a bright future, and you got Connor McDavid, who could be the best player of his generation, likely is, one of the best ever. I probably shouldn't score unless there's miscommunication. So that happened. But it never really, like, there was rare in that with Sheldon. Like, he would be directing traffic as you were on the way back. Okay, Noof, I got him. I got him. I'm going right there. You, you go You go to the net. You take so-and-so. And he was so in your face and vocal, but I liked that. 
I, I really did. It gave us a better chance to do our job. I'm not saying that we never screwed up, but if we didn't communicate, we would have been more minus for sure. And that's what Tyrion was saying. And I remember we had Stefan Robida, right? He was a rookie when I was. Ended up being a great NHL defenseman. But when I played with him, he didn't know a lick of English, right? We had Miloslav Guerin, a Czech player who ended up being my roommate. He didn't know any English. So if me, there's obviously five players and a goalie. If me, Milo, and Robida are three of the six, then half the people on the ice have no idea what the rest of them are saying, right? I mean, I don't know what French, like Robida, you know, I know a bit, but not, I mean, he's out there speaking it as we play. I don't know what he's saying. Milo, I have no idea what it, one word in Czech is. Now I do, but I didn't then. And I still wouldn't be able to pick it up on the ice. And to be honest, when I start in the middle of a game, the way I, I talk fast, like it's probably hard to understand me as a Newfoundlander. I mean, Ted Hitchcock didn't come from nowhere. I speak like that a little bit when I'm on the ice, flustered or adrenaline's going or whatever. You know what I mean? I, I get like that. So communication is extremely, extremely important. It's one of those things. It sounds obvious. It sounds, of course, you know, everybody knows that, but I don't know if they do. Just look at a game. The next time you fans watch a game and you got, you know, all afternoon or all night to, to kill some time and to really watch a game and dissect it, watch it like we would watch it. Uh, like when I have to analyze a game, I watch it differently. Obviously, I'm looking for things that would stand out. Everybody does it different, but I look at things that stand out to me as like if I was scouting a game, right? Little things. It's easy to see that Connor McDavid goes end to end once in a while. It's easy to see that Zach Hyman works hard using the Oilers here and all these examples because it's fresh on my mind. Um, you know, it's easy to see that Derek Shore needs to work on getting it out of his own end. He's a good penalty killer. It's easy to see that Campbell struggles once in a while. Like the, these are things that are easy, but if you really break down some of the mistakes, you'll see that people aren't either talking or they are, but they're too far out of position to there's uh, there's mental communication as well, right? And um you don't have to be yelling, but it's you know fill a fill a hole. Um you know, there's hockey plays that that are innate, they're, they're in you that, you know, and you start reading off your teammates. So a lot of times communication is the problem. It's easy to see, again, if someone needs to work on their agility, and that's a process. But to say, hey, you take him, or to say, okay, you know, long pass, or heads up, right? Heads up. And I, I would have appreciated that a few times. I remember getting like fucking run through the boards like looking up and seeing a defenseman there and going like, or whoever. I just remember these. And I don't want to call this person out because they're probably listening, but it used to piss me off. I'm like, you didn't think of that? I was just getting fucking run, right? I was just coming out of my own end with the puck. Hey, hey way, to, way to take the hit to make the play, TR. Yeah, I know, but I didn't have to take the fucking hit if you told me so-and-so was coming to maim me through the glass. Even communication can be something as simple as that. But it is extremely, extremely important. Hockey fans, light the lamp this winter with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 
New customers can bet just $5 pre-game money line on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. If that wasn't enough excitement, you can turn small bets into bigger payouts with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot at an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Uh, now, what do I think of Alexander Ovechkin? Another listener question. I can't remember where these specifically came from. I usually say it. Sorry, guys. I just read them earlier. And honestly, I'm fucking exhausted. I've had so much on the go. Uh, I just got off yesterday. The movie we're, we've been doing Made to Kill. I have six cameos to do tonight. I try to do a good job. It's 6 p.m. right now, so I'll be doing that till 4 a.m. Uh, you know, when it's said and done, I got to take Penny Lane to basketball. Six cameos will take me. Yeah, I try to do a good job. It'll take me five or six hours. That's why people ask me, what do you charge some people? Or some people ask me to do it for free. And I'm like, I, and I know that some of you are out there now. Some of you are my buddies. And look, I love you guys, but it's fucking an insult, man. You know, it's a lot. I got to do this now. I got to work tomorrow morning. And I know I'm, and I, I do every goddamn cameo, man. I've done 80 in a row. I, I haven't said no to any. And if I have to, I'll stay up. I'll get on the coffee and I'll do it till five in the morning. People give me deadlines. They want, they're nice enough. They're, fucking nice enough and, and, and big enough fans that they're going to pay over $100 for me to say happy birthday and shit, I'm going to do a good job, right? But uh, the problem is that people that are close to me see it. Oh, that's cool, T-Bone. Can you do one of those? Yeah, do one Do one of those for my kid's team. They got a game tomorrow. It's a big one. They're, they're, fine. they're in the final in a tournament. Well, sorry, John, I will, but I got five cameos to do. And, you know, it takes a little bit out of me. It takes, you know, it takes a bit of effort and everything. You know, so just go through Cameo. Oh, come on now, T-Bone, by Give us one for free, la. Like that. I'm serious. And I'm like, dude, this happens fucking five times a week. <laughs> anyway, start an event, but it's just, uh, you know, expectations. Just think about what you're asking. Because I like to do a good job. Hey, if you give me a script and you, or you want me to actually say happy birthday, way to go, little Zach or something, that's different. That's completely different. Right? It's just like an autograph's different. You want me to sign something? I'm not going to charge you for that. But if you want me to sign my book, yeah, you're going to have to fucking pay. Right? You want me to give you a book with a signature on it? I don't know how some people expect that I just got them there. They're just, yeah, they just fall out of the sky. Like, I have to buy them like you buy them. And then I sign them and I send them off. And that's, you know, just do the math on that. Anyway, most people know the difference. Some don't. There it is. Now, if you want my book, wow, those orders are, uh, I try to do it. Look, if, 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 if I don't get back to you immediately, go to flankerpress.com. And I've signed a bunch up there. Just order it through Flanker Press. A, it'll be cheaper. And B, you'll get it faster now. The thing is, if you order it through me, I'll sign it and I'll, uh, you know, personalize it, whatever, usually, whatever. Merry Christmas. I'll try to think of a pun or something. 
bitter patter, whatever, you know what I mean. But, but a lot of people want me to, they, they say, hey, I want it for Ian, whoever, and he likes Shorzy, maybe some quotes, whatever. If you want any of that, then you have to pay 40 bucks. That's the way it goes, right? Because I got to say, I got to buy it. I sign it. I send it off. I drive up. I take whatever. I try to wait till there's like 10 or 15, and I drive up to the post office, and then I send each and every one of them off. But it's a process. And why do I charge? Because it's I, I got a lot of other things going on. And I, I'm, I'm noticing that you know my time is really stretched thin, especially being a single dad. But I'm not offended if you don't want it that way. I get it. Not everybody has 40 bucks to spend on a book. I totally understand that. More than anything, I, I actually don't expect you to get one straight off me. But I'm telling you right now, if you want the cheapest route, flank www.flankerpress.com that's my new one and the other one you can just get on amazon or i think it's ecw the thing with my first book is that it's available everywhere that my second book you know meaning that every i remember there was a contract i i, I, I ecw i believe so many had to be in every chapters every indigo store in canada and then when i went on chiclets and those things it kind of caught on and it was available everywhere. Well, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore isn't available everywhere. I, I, I wrote it during the pandemic. I, I honestly just assumed that it was going to be all over Canada, but Flanker doesn't have that pull, and it's not. So if you want that one and you can't find it, you likely can't. Um, you'll have to go through flankerpress.com uh, or my my email, which is Terry Ryan at gmail terry ryan 2020 at gmail.com uh but like i said for tales of a first round nothing it's still in stores all over it came out six or seven years ago now but it's going strong seven years ago and uh usually when i go somewhere and do an appearance or something like it's probably easier if you just buy it at the store and then get me to sign it again if it's not there no problem i can get it to you it'll just probably take three weeks as opposed to a week with uh, with one of the book companies. So on Friday, what I'm going to try to do is get my buddy Nathan Morey. Okay, I've I've been he, Nathan moved to Scandinavia. Uh, I believe Scandinavia is Sweden, Finland, and Norway. So he moved to Norway. I played hockey against him and senior hockey here. Good local player. Um, good junior player came up and like I said won a couple of herders I believe that's a Newfoundland senior championship it's like a semi-pro league Nate Dog was a pretty good player I don't know what brought him there I believe maybe he started going out with a girl but he left and went to Norway years ago and it got to be half a decade ago now and he started coaching and I watch him online and it, it, it's fascinating from the approach that he takes to the you know to the culture of hockey where he's playing and living and coaching and i don't know many newfoundlanders that just up and left and went to finland and norway so i'm really excited i'm trying to get i've been trying to get them for a while they're five four and a half hours ahead of where i am in st john's so it's not always easy to get them but i'm going to try so if there's any coaches out there or there's anybody from europe that's curious even senior hockey players from here y'all know nate dog nate maury but uh just for more reasons than one, he's a very, very interesting subject to to interview. And uh, I've been trying to get him for a while. And we planned for tomorrow, but now that's out. So hopefully I can get him Friday. Uh, if not, we're going to get my good buddy Chris Ryan on again soon, who just had a few 
new songs come out, had a new album come out. I've had them on before, but it was, uh, I believe, a couple years ago before this podcast really took off to where it is now. In any case, I will have one of those guys on, and it'll likely be Nathan Nate Dog Mori. So look forward to that one. It'll happen in a couple days. Last thing I'll say. So I usually, once in a while, like I said, I give these music recommendations. And recently, I think I was talking about Johnny Cash. And I brought up Bob Dylan going electric at the Newport Festival. And I thought that this was common knowledge. I really did. And <laughs> anyway, I was talking about it at the gym. <laughs> and my buddy said, well, it is for you because you're old. But I'm like, well, that was 13 years before I was born. I just pay attention to history. And I like good music. And it's Bob Dylan. You know, like, I'm not really into Beethoven, but I know who the hell it is. You know, like, it's Bob Dylan. I, I, I just fascinated that people wouldn't really understand what I was talking about. So listen, Bob Dylan was a folk hero, okay? Is, but is a folk hero. But before Bob Dylan, it goes, you know, music in the folk, I don't know, I'm trying to think. Pete Seeger was a big name in the folk community. Uh, like Peter, Paul, and Mary at the, around the same time. The Carpenters, maybe. You know, folk music. And usually didn't involve electronic sounds. Um, a lot of times folk was just a guy with a guitar, for lack of a better way to put it. Or a girl, but at the time, more guys than girls. <clears throat> um, you know, it was just, the, the t as Bob Dylan said, the, the times, they were a-changing. So... In a good way, it would end up being a lot more girls. But at the time, the folk, most of the, at least the big players that I knew, I know, are uh, of the era, would be men. I got no reason to say that. I'm just pointing it out. Now, I say that, I guess it was because who I was paying attention to. Like Joni Mitchell, I, I don't really consider her folk, but a lot of people do. So Joan Baez, Linda Ronstadt, if you consider them folk, then okay, okay there was. But I'm thinking just like, you know, dude, get up on stage with a guitar. Anyway, it's worth looking into. I don't want to sound, what's the word? Not chauvinistic, but, you know, ignorant in that there were no women folk musicians and it had nothing to do with what I was going to say. But yeah, the, the ones I followed, the women that would be in the conversation, I just considered, like Joni Mitchell, I consider that light rock almost. Anyway, anyway, so Bob Dylan was such a songwriter and his albums were, they were... I talk about the Beatles. I never give Bob Dylan enough credit. He was changing music. And he, they call him a spokesman of a generation. <clears throat> um, his first couple albums, I think they were the freewheeling Bob Dylan. And one of the albums was called The Times They Are Changing. Um, okay. It was the American folk revival. That's kind of what I'm saying. And... I don't know. To me, Bob Dylan was the face of that. So they went to Newport. I think it was 64. 
Hold on, I'll look it up. Newport Film, okay, music festival, folk festival. It was in 1965, okay? And fans were there, folk fans, think five, six years before Woodstock, or four, I guess, four full years before Woodstock. So it's the same kind of crowd, peace, love, and understanding, I guess. Um, not everybody at the time respected songwriters. Um, Dylan was a huge song. Like he was, you, you, with Dylan up until that point, you'd notice the words before the, the music for sure. He was almost a poet, right? So I, I guess he was a poet. So he gets up on stage and he breaks out his electric guitar and he goes into Like a Rolling Stone. And I mean, look back, that's one of his best songs. If if anybody, I mean, it's at least one of my favorite. If I, I assume it's one of his most famous, most played. Bob Dylan's got a lot of albums that he still comes out with them. He had like album of the year in the 2000s. This guy didn't ever lose much creativity. He stayed relevant. His best stuff was probably late 60s, early 70s, but I'd still put lots of his albums above anything that's out now or even at the time. Um, he just had so many. Anyway, so he did that and the crowd booed him. Like they were pissed off that he broke out an electric guitar. Now, Like a Rolling Stone is a classic. It just everything about it, the music, the words, it opens up in your face. It keeps going. He's given his passion behind his songwriting. It's beautiful. My fa And right after that came Positively 4th Street. And Positively 4th Street is my favorite Bob Dylan song. Both are, both symbolize his removal from folk music and folk instruments and his the rebirth of Bob Dylan and the rebirth of folk. Uh, folk after that didn't just mean a guitar either. I mean, things change, music changes, genre changes, people change. I mean, that's everything changes. There's nothing static. If I learned anything in folklore, there's nothing static. And of course, you know, after that, he went country. He went Nashville skyline is largely country. Um, I think you could maybe call most of it after that folk rock. But anyway, like people were pissed off. Look it up without getting into it, and you'll see when he gets up in Newport and people boot him, not off the stage, but almost. And uh, he just came back stronger than ever. Yeah, and right, Like a Rolling Stone and Positively 4th Street are my favorites that came out of that era. I believe the album. I got to look the album up. I think it's bringing it back home. Bringing it back home. Let's see. March 1965, Dylan released his fifth album. Bringing it all back home. Okay, I was off by a word. Side one features him back by an electric band, while side two features him accompanying himself with an acoustic guitar. On July 20th, 1965, he released his single, Like a Rolling Stone, featuring a rock sound. On July 25th, 65, he performed his first electric concert at the Newport Festival. Some sections of the audience booed the performance, leading members of the folk movement to criticize him for moving away from political songwriting and for performing with an electric band. Dylan continued his trend towards electric rock music on his next two albums, Highway 61 Revisited and Blonde on Blonde. My ooh, two great albums, man. They would be in my top 50. So there you go. Check it out. Uh, I hope most of you have at least heard of Bob Dylan. If you haven't, you're welcome. 
And uh, you got to give them a chance. Those two songs I mentioned, they're going to hit you hard. Like a Rolling Stone and Positively 4th Street, again, my favorite. They're going to hit you real hard. Uh, meaning good. Uh, but, uh, you know, like right off the bat, they're, they're first listen songs that really grab you. But if you keep going and uh, you want to really dive into Bob Dylan, the albums, yeah, there's so many. I mentioned the freewheeling Bob Dylan, okay? So here, I, one of my favorite songs on that is Bob Dylan with Johnny Cash. And it's called The Girl from North Country. Uh, what else is good? Lay Lady Lay. Uh, definitely my top five Bob Dylan songs is Subterranean Homesick Blues. That's another real rocker. Check it out, Subterranean Homesick Blues. I'm saying the words. You'll probably go, what the fuck is TR talking about? When you hear it, you will recognize it. And I also love the video. I won't give it away. Check it out. Now, that is one hundredth of what I could sit here and say about Bob Dylan. But start there. And if nothing else, now you all know the story of Bob Dylan plugging in at the Newport Folk Festival in 1965. Folks, this has been episode 133A, Tales with TR. I'll be back in just a couple of days, likely with Nate, the Nate Dog Mori. Good Newfoundland boy living in Norway, likely be back with him. If you're in town, obviously, and you want to work out and you want to change your life, you go to Rope Walk Lane, you go to Power Conditioning for the strength. For strength, balance, conditioning for the body and mind. I could go on and on. I just came from there today, Howie, and he got some great gear on. I got some swag. I got a great hoodie and some joggers, and uh, I just can't say enough about it. I know I always do, but I certainly can't say enough. Uh, Pitbull Pain Relief. Go to pitbullpainrelief.com. Pain sticks, they're absolutely brilliant, and they have some more things now. They have some vape sticks and whatnot. You will, uh, the company is expanding. My buddy Merle just sent over a text and he says, Tierra, thanks for all the support. We love everything you're doing. We love being affiliated and we got some more products coming real soon. Mr. Lube here in St. John's got locations on Torbay Road and Kenmount Road. Live, laugh, lube. Why not? Chris Sparks too. What a great guy. A uh, national champion, a herder champion, a local baseball champion. A world bronze medalist with myself in 2013 on Team Canada. A world silver medalist in 2011. I forgot that. I don't think Sparky and I ever achieved goal status, but uh, we had a lot of great, great times. Chris Sparks is one of my best friends and one of the greatest athletes to come out of Newfoundland. There's no doubt. And now he's running Mr. Lube in town. He owns two spots. And like I said, they're on Torbay Road and Camount Road. If you're going to go get anything done related to cars, why not go and support a good fucking guy who's a great athlete and promotes Newfoundland? If you're downtown St. John's, of course, why not go to Trinity Pub, TJ's Pub, Rob Roy Confusion, Greensleeves Pub, or Bull and Barrel? That's where I like to grab my beers. If I want to eat, I go to Merchant Tavern, Blue on Water, or Wedgwood Cafe, usually. So check those places out. Folks, I'll be back in just a couple of days, like I said, with hopefully Nathan the Nate Dog Maury. Either way, thanks for tuning in. I'll see you again soon. I'll catch you all on the rebound.